Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is David Allen. David is widely considered to be the world's leading expert on personal and organizational productivity. He has more than 30 years of pioneering research and experience as a management consultant and executive coach to some of the world's most prestigious organizations, such as New York Life, the World Bank, and the U.S. Navy. David is the author of three books, including the international bestseller, Getting Things Done, which Time Magazine called the defining self-help business book of its time. He's also the founder of the David Allen Company, an executive coaching firm using his Getting Things Done work-life management mythology. Thank you so much, David, for coming on the show today. Delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, can you tell me briefly about your background? What inspired you to get into the field of productivity? You know, I discovered how cool it was to be in clear space. I got a black belt in, the, in karate and the martial arts when I was in my 20s. Sort of discovered how cool it was to have a clear head. You know, they were, you know, meditative and spiritual and other kind of reasons that might be more esoteric, but very practical reasons called a lot easier to deal with four people jumping in a dark alley if you don't have 2000 unprocessed emails hanging in your head. So a uh, clear space. So I was attracted to clear space and then I wound up getting into my own consulting business, helping friends and other people with their, their startup businesses. And I was a good number two guy, helped a lot of people sort of improve their processes because I'm just Mr. Lazy. I said, well, how much easier can we make this happen? So I combined my attraction to laziness and also to a clear head and said, look, how can I sort of be involved in a more complex professional world as it was showing up in my life and keep a clear head because it was pretty easy to screw it up. So I just was first of all explored for myself what were some cool things that gave me the sort of freedom of mind and clarity of space and all that cool stuff to be able to, you know, sort of be present with whatever you were doing. All the mindfulness stuff these days is just talking about something that I discovered 35 years ago. Hey, yeah, <laughs> nice to be clear and present with whatever you're doing. It's the best way to get a golf ball from or fire somebody from or have a difficult conversation from or cook spaghetti from. So when your head's clear, so clear head. And then what were some models that I could use to help both myself? And as I discovered some of these practices for myself, I started to share them with my consulting clients and produce the same results more clarity, more space, more control, whatever. And then some guy, a big, you know, heavyweight guy in the corporate training world, head of human resources for Lockheed, saw what I was doing. He said, wow, we need that in a whole company. Can you design a training program around this? And so, you know, I designed a training around what I discovered as this methodology. And that was back in, you know, we did a pilot program for a thousand executives and managers at Lockheed, 1983, Burbank. And that hit a nerve. And so I found myself thrust into the corporate training world. But then that forced me and gave me the opportunity to refine this methodology in more discrete terms so that I could define for people. Because you're not born doing this. It's not hard to do, but it's something that you have to actually learn how to do if you want to keep your head clear with the the, the tsunami of email and and opportunities and, and, and things to do and, and so forth that most people are getting overwhelmed with these days. So I had spent the last 30, 35 years basically, you know, uncovering that methodology, writing about it in the manual, which I wrote in Getting Things Done. So what does the Getting Things Done methodology entail? It entails basically getting stuff out of your mind. Your head is just a crappy office, you know, so to stop using your head to keep trying to remember, remind, 
prioritize, manage relationships between things. It, it did not evolve to do that. So a lot of what this methodology is about was building what the cognitive scientists are now calling the external brain. I mean, I sort of just discovered this on the street 35 years ago, but in the last 10 years, a lot of research has been done to basically validate the fact that, you know, look, your head can manage about four things in terms of keeping track of it to manage and remember and remind the right thing at the right time and manage the relationships. And you, you add more than four, you'll start to be driven by latest and loudest instead of strategy and, and intelligence. So a lot of this, you know, that I discovered was how do I get stuff out of my head, write it down, decide, then clarify what does it mean? What are you going to do about it? What actions and outcomes that, that are embedded in what you wrote down and then have some trusted organizational system externally that you've parked reminders of the errands you need to run, stuff you need to talk to your boss about, stuff you need to talk to your life partner about, um, you know, put those in appropriate places so that then your brain doesn't have to be spinning about all that. You just, hey, it's time to go for errands. Let me see the eight things I've decided I need to do. And that, you know, it's kind of a duh because anybody who's listening to this who manages a calendar is already doing that. You said your head couldn't do it. That's why you have a calendar, right? So I just said, well, <laughs> let's you know manage your life that way. If your head can't do it, you know, don't try to don't try to um, give it that job. It doesn't do it very well, and it's going to stress you out and frustrate you. So the whole idea, so it basically, is a series of best practices called capture what's on your mind, get it out of your head, decide actions and outcomes of things that are actionable. What are the, what's the next action on this and what do you need to keep committed to in terms of a project? And then building some trusted external organizational system, basically a list manager in some way that you keep track of all this stuff. And then building, you know, a step four, which is making sure you are looking at your errands list when you go out for errands <laughs> so you don't miss anything. So you're looking at your external brain to see where you need to be when and what you might need to do or what your options are. So that then, you know, your step five of this process is how do I engage my attention and my activities based upon an overview of all of those commitments so I know I'm not missing anything. And that's, that allows you to then move from a, a, you know, a state of trust instead of hope in terms of what you're doing. Can you walk us through how you might use these five steps through sort of your daily planning? Well, sure. You know, basically, I, I plan as little as I can get by with, by the way. You know, my, my plan is the night before to look at, at what commitments I've got for the next day so I can know how long I can sleep because I'm a big sleep fan. You know, sleep as long as I can. But then once I have any free time based upon other external commitments I've got, then I say I need to look at all the other options I've got. But I only have all those other options once I've you know, captured all the emails, all the physical mail, all the ideas, all the notes I've taken, all the anything and gone through all those and said, okay, what are the, all the next actions I've committed to make or I should be committed to make or take about any of those things? And so I've got an inventory of all of those next actions as possibilities. So, you know, basically building a system so that as soon as I have any discretionary time, you know, given uh, external commitments, that as soon as I have any discretionary time, I have a, I have a whole inventory of every single thing else I might, would, could, should, might want to, you know, move, take an action about. And I have those on appropriate lists, stuff to talk to my wife about, errands I need to run, stuff I need to do at my computer, you know, uh, things I need to talk to, you know, a key person about on, a, on the next meeting coming up. So all those have been, 
I've made those decisions. So that's a lot of what this is about is spending at 30 to 90 minutes a day, taking all the new inputs that are coming in and then working, working that through this drill. What are the things I need to do about this? What action do I need to take about this? And then parking reminders of those things in sort of some appropriate system. So that's the sort of capture and clarify and organize aspect of this. Of those are the first three steps, which are really critical. And then I just need to make sure I look at what's on my list. You know, when I'm, you know, about to talk to you or about to, when we get off this, you know, what do I do next? What do you think are the biggest mistakes people make when they're trying to implement GTD? Well, any four of those or any five of those. One, you keep stuff in your head, <laughs> you know, um, you, then you won't trust your list or your head. So uh, that's the first one is people. That's a big habit to change. As, as soon as I say, hey, yeah, Mike, I'll get back to you about that. You know, I got a pen and paper right here in front of me. I'm going to write that down the second I make that commitment because two minutes later, I may forget that I, for, that I forgot it. So, you know, learning to that you need to be smarter than your mind and grab the stuff you think about your heads for having ideas, but not for holding them. So that's a big habit of change and probably the first and biggest one that most people, you know, make a mistake about they're keeping stuff. They're trying to use their head as an office and it's just a shitty office that doesn't work. So second thing is once you even make a list, a lot of people listening to this probably have to do lists. But if I were to sit down with any of those people and look at those to do lists, I'm going to see a lot of incomplete and unclear stuff. You'll see things like mom or bank or I don't know, you know, VP of marketing or you know, God knows what everybody's going to have on their to-do list. But what you don't see is what's the very next action somebody needs to take about that and what's the final um, outcome they're committed to achieve or finish about this. So outcome and action thinking is something that needs to be applied to those things that have your attention. So that's stage two. That's the second thing that people don't do. They may write something down like mom, but okay, well, why'd you write it down? Well, her birthday's coming. Well, great. What are you going to do? I don't know. Well, okay. I guess you got some thinking and decision making you need to still do about what's on your list. So that's the second thing people fall off the plate, you know, here is they, they just don't, they don't, they avoid those decisions. So they don't find what it is that they want. You know, they know they need to do something. They haven't gotten very, real discreet about exactly what. What's the very next step they would need to take? Call your sister, surf the web, go to the store and buy your mom a flower. Oh, you know, what's come on? What's the very next thing you need to do about mom's birthday? And by the way, are you committed to do a party or what? So is there a project that needs to be defined? And what's the next action step you need to take to move toward closure on that? And as strange as that sounds, that sounds like a simple thing, but most people avoid those things like the plague. Guaranteed, I spent thousands of hours with some of the best and brightest people on the planet actually having them unload this stuff out of their head and that they have not made those decisions yet. What's the very next action about this? And by the way, you get to mark this off as done with what's true. What's the project you're committed to finish? So they just, they haven't really clarified those. They have kind of a vague sense of it, but vague sense won't, won't complete it. And it just, all it does is adds pressure to your brain. Okay. So after clarity, then what, what was the next step? Organize. So you need to organize. Okay. If I say, look, I need to call my sister to see what she wants to do about mom's birthday. And I can't call her right now. I need to park some reminder somewhere that when I have a phone in time, I see, oh yeah, I need to call Ann about you know, mom's birthday. So it's just building some trusted system so that your brain doesn't have to keep remembering and reminding. Come on, anybody listen to this got a calendar. They're already doing this. 
Yeah. Why don't you keep all your calendar in your head? Oh, my head can't do it. Well, duh. Why do you think your head can do it about all the other stuff? You know, so it, it's really about just building some trusted system that you park a reminder in the appropriate place. Awesome. So like using a calendar, having a place to revert back to, what, what is the next step after that? Well, then you need to make sure you look at your calendar and know where you, <laughs> where you need to go in. You know, I was a little late getting on the call with you because I <laughs> neglected looking at my calendar, you know, as, as I, as often as I needed to today. You say, oh, well, that's right. So you need to make sure that you're using your system to make sure that you're pointing yourself in the right direction, but that my head couldn't try to remember to remind myself to do that. I needed to make sure that there was a system, but I needed the system, you know, to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do. Come on, if you're going to the store to buy food, you know, a lot of people go to go to the store to buy lemons and they come back with six things and no lemons. <laughs> Why? They didn't make a list. Duh. Write them all down. And then once you've got all that down, then you just make sure when you go to the store, you look at the list. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've been to the store sometimes and I come back and I forgot some stuff because I had the list in my pocket. I just didn't look. Essentially having a plan, right? Well, it's basically having an external map, essentially, you know, that says, okay, I'm at the store. Show me what I need to think about while I'm at the store so that I point myself in the right direction and make my moves efficiently. So, hey, I'm at the board meeting. What are all the things I've, that, I've, that I've come up with or that are in front of me as an agendas that I need to make sure I handle at the board meeting? What are all the things I need to think about when I'm you know, spending my weekend with my kids and my family? You know, so it's just create, creating maps that you look at. But trying to make all that, if you're trying to use your head to remember all that stuff or to be reminded of all the stuff that could add value that you've thought of before, good luck. So after you have a map, what's the, the fifth step? Uh, how do you engage your attention and your activities based upon the map? Okay, hey, look at this. Where are you going to go right now? What are you going to do? How are you going to engage? You want to take a nap? You want to have a beer? You want to work on this? You know, this ugly email that you're going to have to respond to that you, you know, grappling with or whatever. So, you know, it's just a, that, that sort of final thing that we do at any point in time. So what do I do right now? And how do I make sure that's a trusted choice instead of just something that's driven by whatever's latest and loudest in front of me as opposed to, you know, what I think I should be doing. And how does somebody determine it's a trusted choice? Like, what, how do you define that? Yeah, well, you look at all the other, all your options say that's the best option I can do right now. Given that my time, my energy, my focus, my context that I'm in, you know, and all the commitments I've got at multiple levels, here's the best thing I think I need to do. That's not a that's not a simple activity. I mean, it's a simple it's a simple activity. It's not simple to get to a really really comfortable choice to make sure. Hey, in alignment with your life purpose, is it? Are we in alignment with your core values? Is this part of the vision of where you want to be five years from now in terms of? you know, personal lifestyle and career. Is this, you know, is this even moving you toward whatever goals you want to achieve to make that sure that vision happen? And by the way, is this handling and managing all the things you need to manage in terms of your areas of focus and interest, you know, interviews, job, you know, things you're accountable for and make sure all that works. And by the way, is this part of it? Is it aligned with the projects that you need to do? Hey, yeah, finish David Allen interview and get that published and whatever that you have to do to get that online. And then all the way down to the next action is called, hey, well, you're here. This is an action on your calendar. You showed up. I showed up. Now we're actually doing this. So those are the six horizons of commitment you have. Assuming you've looked at all that and feel 
okay that talking to me right now is what you need to do given why you're on the planet, then you're in a trusted place. But if there's some part of you that says, yeah, but what about yeah, 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 if your mind has gone anywhere else besides this conversation while we've been talking, then that's something you have not yet appropriately engaged with to get it into your system so that you could have a truly clear head and be present with whatever you're doing. See, most people, most people listening to this, I'd be willing to bet you have had their mind go somewhere that else that has nothing to do with what you and I are talking about. And that's, that's essentially what this methodology is about is starting to recognize what are those things and how do you stop those things from distracting you? Because if people thought about those, they didn't, they 99% did not make any progress in them. You just distracted them and then created stress because then they went, well, wait a minute, I thought I was listening to those guys, but I went off into this other thing, but I didn't make any progress on either one of them. And that's not a highly efficient way to operate. Essentially what you're saying is it's that our brain gets clouded or we get overwhelmed, and that process of being overwhelmed reduces our productivity. Is that, is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, any one thing, a potential divorce, a potential marriage, uh, I don't know if I should get married, I don't know, whatever, uh, uh, or, hey, I just had a weird thing happen with a major client that's going to affect my business and my income. You know, any one of those things, if you're not appropriately engaged with it, will gray out your, the rest of your life and it'll make the whole thing feel overwhelming. So any one thing, you need to get very discreet about, wait a minute, what is this? What's the outcome I'm committed to complete about this? You know, finalize my divorce. You know, research whether this is a, you know, woman or a guy I want to spend my time with. Uh, or, you know, resolve this issue with client X. You know, when you need to identify what are those things that I'm trying to accomplish and you need to get clear on that. Decide, okay, what's the very next thing I can do? Some of those things you may not be do, you may not be able to do anything about. So it just goes on. If that were me, that would go my waiting for list. I'm waiting on to hear back from X, Y, and Z because I can't do anything until I do. But once I park that somewhere that I know I'm going to look at that as often as I need to, I don't need to be waked up at three o'clock in the morning about any of that because I've already got it in my external brain. I trust like your calendar. So. It's really about that. So what do I need to do to get anything off of my mind? See, I mean, here's the, the radical sort of, you know, <laughs> the, sort of my life purpose in terms of what I'm doing here on the planet is that we create a planet where there's no problems, only projects. Can you expand on that? Well, anything any you or anybody else would consider a problem right now, why do you consider it a problem? You only consider it a problem if you assume it could be better. You, know, you need to clarify it or resolve it or, or, or fix it. You know, I doubt if anybody's woke up this morning and saying, gee, gravity is really a problem because <laughs> you know, you can't do anything about it, even though it's killing people and causing body parts to sag and all that. You only think things are problems. If there's something I need or would or could or should might ought to either finish about this, fix about this or, or find out whether it is I can do anything about this. You got a neighbor that's got an issue with your property line. You know, oh, that's a problem. What's the project? I need to get closure with my neighbor on this issue. Okay, great. What's the next step? So again, take any problem and I will reframe it for you. And you should reframe that as something you need to do something about. And if you don't, you're going to be the victim of it as opposed to in the driver's seat about it. Doesn't mean it's fun. Doesn't mean it's solved. It just means I'm doing the best I can do to find out whether this can get clarified, resolved, finished, fixed, or handled. And that's, that's a big, <laughs> it's a big change for a lot of people. 
by loving. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, so many people spend a ton of their life's energy procrastinating and thinking about things that they want to do and sort of get hung up on them. And it sounds like what you really did is like created an organizing set of principles that somebody can follow to reduce that clutter and get clarity and get more productive. Sure. And it gets pretty subtle, especially in the kind of world, you know, you have come from, you know, in terms of dating and relationships and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Those are, those are pretty subtle, but those are still very real projects. I need to, I need to look into whether Sally or Bill or whatever, you know, whether we can have something a little more solid than what we're doing right now. You know, how, how often do people actually sit down and take something like that and actually frame a desired outcome? And the desired outcome may be, yeah, well, I might like to marry him or her. Uh, maybe that's the desired outcome. Or maybe it's just, I want to find out where this is going and get clear about that and just make sure that you're moving appropriately toward getting that data. Is, is this a go or no go decision? Whatever. So, you know, interestingly, even in the very subtle areas, and, you know, the relationships certainly have a whole lot of subtlety to them. It, it, you could still apply this as opposed to, I'm sort of the victim that I'm in love, but I don't know what to do and I don't know what's, ha what's happening or whatever. And if you, you know, come on, you can enjoy that, get kind of into the zen of, <laughs> of you know, sort of relationship mystery. That's fine. Or if there's any kind of a negative spin on that at all, say, okay, wait a minute, what do I need to do to get clarity to, to move this forward? Or I'm going to wait for three months and see what shows up. And then just give yourself a little trigger three months from now. Say, hey, dude, how'd you go with X, Y, or Z? And even that's fine. As long as you give yourself permission to spend time on something and just let things show up as they might. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. The other place I thought your methodology would be very applicable is just clearing up the clutter so that somebody has the emotional space to connect with another person. Huge. And a whole lot of what gets in the way of relationships is a lot of that other dorky, weird stuff. You know, um, how many dirty cups or glasses can you let mount up in your living room before you have to do something about it? Right? And you've got your standard about that. You get into a relationship, you know, that's where a lot of the big problems show up. It's called, wait a minute, you know, my wife, any one of those things is too much. She'll take it up and clean it. And you know, for me, I, I'm willing to have a sink full of dirty dishes before I do something about it. Now, after 29 years, we're starting to sort of, you know, we, we've kind of come to some, you know, level of, of, of sort of negotiated agreement about that. You know, so she's willing to let three or four things show up at the sink, and I'm willing to, you know, keep it to that. <laughs> so, so, but could you know? Those are the weird little things that can just blow the hell out of a, uh, what could be a wonderful relationship if you're not clear about your agreements and your commitments and how well you handle those. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way, you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. 
All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I also just started thinking about how just having more time because the other parts of your life are more productive frees you up to sort of just relax with another human being. Oh, sure. Well, just having nothing on your mind and be able to do nothing and just hang. You know, I love to just hang. That's one of my favorite things to do is to do nothing. Uh, but in order to be able to afford where I live, you know, and to do what I do, I can't just do nothing, you know, uh, but I need to be able to manage everything I need to manage so that I have the freedom to then do nothing at these wonderfully random moments, you know, with Catherine and my dog. So, so, you know, that's a whole lot of reason to do this methodology is to allow you to be present. What are some of the other applications that you find that people use your methodology, especially ones that maybe you wouldn't have imagined when you first started? Well, one of the things I discovered is that this methodology just creates space. It creates room in your head. How would you use room? If you had nothing pulling on you, absolutely zero now, tabula rasa I mean, in terms of your brain, well, how would you use that? A lot of people use it to be more creative. A lot of people use that space to be more strategic. A lot of people use that space to be more innovative. A lot of people use that space to just be more present and loving. So they can actually watch their daughter play soccer without being on their iPhone. I mean, my God, how transformational is that? You wouldn't believe the legions of, of testimonials I get from parents. I go, oh my God, I started to implement this. I was actually able to be present with the kids and I didn't miss, miss them growing up <laughs> because I was so wrapped around the axle around all this other stuff. So, you know, just being present, how you use that space once you create the space is very much up to you. But I can guarantee you over these 35 years I've done this work, this invariably creates space. If you capture stuff that has your attention, decide actions and outcomes about the actual pieces of this, park those things in trusted places, you know, and review and reflect on those things and keep it current on a consistent basis, you absolutely are going to have a lot more space. Space to do what? But, <laughs> you know, you know, one of my biggest fans, I can say it because he's publicized it on serious radio is Howard Stern. You know, Howard would tell you GTD and my, my stuff changed his life. Allowed him to have room to learn to paint, which he'd always loved to do, and still keep serious radio and all of his other businesses going. So, you know, our, our Robert Downey Jr. or Will Smith, I mean, these guys are, they give my books to their friends. You know, we've trained their, their folks and their businesses. So, you know, some of those creative people in the world say, wow, it just gave me more room. I mean, all these guys are managing multiple businesses and as well as their sort of entertainment careers. But, you know, those are, about how people use this, you know, coach CEOs of some of the most successful startups in the U.S. as well as some of the biggest financial you know, firms in the world. And they use it for different reasons. Once they, they all know they need space. The strange thing is the people most attracted to this are the people who need it the least. They're already the most productive, aspirational, positive, thinking, forward moving kind of people. It's just that their own creativity has created their world 
there's a lot, a lot of collateral damage that's happening because they've overcreated as opposed to their systems and their ability to keep up with what they've done. So it's just essentially just building sustainable systems. Yeah, sustain and sustain, uh, basically not so much systems, but a systematic approach. Look, I, just, you know, my system is going to change. You know, technology changes, how you manage lists changes. A lot of different tools out there. There are hundreds of apps that have been built after I wrote my book to sort of support the book's methodology. It's just they're just list managers, really. And so, you know, the, the your systems will change and probably need to. And how you've even structured your systems will change and need to based upon the complexity of what you're doing, the volume of what you're doing, the nature of what you're doing. The process itself and the, and the principles are intact forever. I mean, in 2090, when we land on Jupiter, you still need an end basket. You'll still need to decide what's the next action on any actionable thing I, I've just noticed that we need to do something about. How do I structure some reminder of that in the appropriate place? How do we reflect and review? all the open loops you know, in terms of what we're trying to do. That's how we get off Jupiter. So this is not going to change. I just, I just, I, I didn't make them up. I just identified the basic behaviors we need to do to keep anything under control and to be able to stay present, you know, with multiple moving, you know, open loops. I'm curious, you have worked with some of the most productive, creative people in the world. What are some of the things that you notice that they do that other people that you've met don't? That's hard to say, you know, because what do you, first of all, you have to, that begs the question, what do you mean by success? Do you mean happy with what they're doing? Do you mean impacting people on the planet in a positive way? Do you, oh, what, what's your definition of success? Because you'd have to answer that before I could say, what were they doing that would then facilitate that? I mean, it's funny because I feel like each person, it would be different, right? Like they're probably a different thing that I would sort of focus on, but I think still along the lines of productivity, right? Because as you mentioned, you're like, some of these people come up with all these different ideas and have all these, these different projects going because of, as a consequence of their creativity. And other people just sort of never really get there. And is it something innate that you, you just sort of see in these people? Or is it things that they're doing even before they discover your methodology that got them to that point? Like, Well, the people, you know, the, the, the common denominator of people attracted to myself are people who assume their life or their work and whatever they're doing in the world is going to be better 18 months from now than it is from now. So these are lifelong learners. It's like, what do I need to do better? You know, there's something that's got my attention right now. How do I fix that? How do I get more strategic? How do I get more creative? How do I get more relaxed? How do I get more time with my kids? You know, so there would be people that, that would be the essence of the people that I tend to work with who are the most successful. Just always have that as some sort of a subliminal driver, at least in terms of their, their interest in, in improving. They're constantly developing. Yeah. Mm. What are some of the things that you've learned from your clients? Oh, I learned something from every one of them, you know, all the time. And I guess, you know, I wrote a revised edition of Getting Things Done in 2015. You know, the first edition, that was 15 years after the first edition. And a lot of that was just the accumulation of what I've learned from implementing this methodology with even more thousands of hours one-on-one with these people, you know, at their desks and in their lives, you know, you know, applying this stuff. And a lot of it is, is really, and I think, you know, the one thing I've learned more recently is how much more willing people are to move into you know, and I'll use the word with a small s, spiritual aspect of their lives. Say, so what really, what really, really matters to me? 
and spiritual meaning, not necessarily religious, but spiritual meaning, what, what, are the, what is it I can't see that seems to be driving or attracting or pulling or pushing on me that's bigger than just my material world? And so if you take that broad, 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 broad category, you know, I think that, you know, people's willingness to be able to have discussions at that kind of language and to talk about those kinds of things, you know, at these senior levels. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got Maslow's hierarchy that if you're starving, you're going to need to survive. So, you know, you're not going to get into self-fulfillment or self-development until you get to the higher part of the hierarchy, you know, of that. Uh, but that's, you know, that's a lot of what I've seen is, is I guess, more openness, uh, more awareness or more uh, interest, you know, p- potentially in people's having their lives be more uh, balanced and sustainable. So do you think that shift or that movement is a consequence of who you're working with and the fact that they are in a self-actualization phase? Or do you think it's sort of broader societal changes that are driving that? I think it's both. There are a whole lot more people. I mean, what's changed since I originally, you know, published the first edition of Getting Things Done in 2001, what's changed is not the methodology, but how many people are needed. <laughs> you know, and now we got students and clergy and stay-at-home dads and 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 physicians and and attorneys and accountants, as well as fast-track corporate you know types, you know, and, and so it, it's really a much more of a lifestyle, art and craft that people are beginning to start to understand. I think a little larger scale, and you know, come on, it's still probably you know I've only sold a couple million books. You know, and there are, what, 7 billion people on the planet. So <laughs> you got a long way to go, you know, in terms of who might be interested in this. But, you know, and I'm, I travel the world. I do master classes and coaching and, and trainings around the world. And, and, you know, and everybody's got the same issues. Overwhelmed, too much to do, not enough room to do it. Um, how do I stay on top of this? And then how do I stay loving and present with my kids or cooking spaghetti? So those are universal issues. And I think there are just a lot more people interested in that. And that if there is a way that they could actually make that happen, they're interested in doing that. So originally, when you designed the methodology, it was towards more of a corporate crowd, it sounds like. And it's found a whole other life of its own and sort of a broader audience is what I'm hearing. Is that true? It is. When I first wrote this, I knew that it worked for students and clergy and stay-at-home dads and you know anybody. Uh, it's just that, you know, when you have to sell this to the book and Penguin wanted it, what's the, what's the market for this book? And the market was really for the fast track professional. So the first edition was really more focused on, you know, framing it for the folks. Cause, you know, coming in 2099, 2000, 2001, that's when the, you know, the Wall Street, you know, young Turks and up and comings or whatever, everybody was getting hit with a tsunami of email and, and rapid change of change. And all of that stuff. So it was in that world that this had the most interest that people were willing to invest in training, coaching, whatever, to learn about how to engage and deal with that. Um, but yes, so that the, the interest in it has broadened significantly through a huge amount of the population now. I mean, what are some other sort of general things you can recommend? Somebody wants to be more productive. They want to be more successful. They're on the come up of life. <laughs> Or they're, maybe they're just trying to clear time. What are some other things that so you picked up, observed, that you'd like to share with the listeners? Some word, relax. Well, new new cognitive science has basically said, look, 
guys, your brain, in order to be able to function optimally, has got to have relaxation time so you can integrate through whatever. So if you're not, you know, eight and a half is the new eight hours of sleep. They now said eight and a half you need because it can take you 15 minutes to try to go to sleep and 15 minutes after you wake up to kind of luxuriate and, and come back to consciousness. But you need eight hours at least. Napping in the afternoon much better than a cup of coffee. And every 90 minutes, you better get up and take five minutes and walk around and daydream so that your brain can, this is not, this is not lazy. This is called scientifically validated about what you need to do to keep yourself cognitively functional and optimally functional. And so a lot of what my methodology did was allow you to make that a lot easier to do, you know, so you don't have, you're not distracted by it. Oh God, I need cat food or gee, I need to think about how I'm going to handle this divorce or, you know, God knows whatever people have on their mind when they're trying to go around and try to relax. <laughs> so the more that you can handle all that stuff that might get in your way of relaxing, the better. But just the idea of, Hey guys, you need reflection review time. You know, you need to, you need to step back and step off and have a regular consistent time to be able to do that. And, you know, you can do that by relaxing, by, you know, by exercise, by yoga, by meditation, by, there's a lot of different ways you can, you know, manage that, you know, good, good glass of wine or two helps me. So any and all of that, you know, that helps you sort of back off, lift up a little bit, relax, let go and see things from a higher perspective. Probably the biggest need out there. I find even in my own life that, I have the most sort of brain power when I first wake up, right? And sometimes I, I'll try to read something and I'll know that I can't read this until I take a nap. And when I take a nap, I wake up, my mind is clear, and I'm able to focus for a couple hours on, on doing something that's sort of more cognitively intense. But the more time goes on throughout the day, I seem to sort of like, even if I don't want to, things sort of add up and I have trouble sort of focusing. So I, I find that I'm definitely someone who sleeps over eight hours a day. And if I'm doing intense things that take a lot of cognitive horsepower. I need rest and coffee doesn't do it for me. <laughs> so, I mean, you can, you can use stimulants. You know, there's, there's some, yeah, there's, there's good uses for that, but, but not, not, not an ongoing as a way to fix it. Yeah. It's funny. I, I also thought of something else. I remember when I was about 21, I was uh, visiting an acquaintance of mine who was a state senator in California and I went by his office and he said, oh, he's not here. And I said, oh, well, tell him I'm here anyway and gave him my name. And uh, or actually he walks out of the office. He goes, oh, come back. And so then we went into sort of this back room that they had in the Senate office. And uh, he was just watching a baseball game. And so he told he told his uh, the, the girl at the desk, don't let anybody in. But then, I mean, he knew me. So once I gave my name and I don't know why I knew he was there. It was just sort of instinct. But it was a really important lesson because I was probably... 21 at the time and I thought people who were extraordinarily productive because we all have the same amount of minutes in a week I thought maybe they just did things non-stop and I, re I realized essentially what you're saying is that sometimes in life we just we need breaks or we need rest so that we can be productive when we need to it's not about being productive consistently it's about being productive when it's most important to be see productivity has a lot of baggage as a word that means work work hard sweat you know, whatever. But if you go to a party to boogie and you don't boogie, that's an unproductive party. If you go on a vacation to relax and you don't relax, that's an unproductive vacation. Productivity is simply about producing the desired result. So in order to be highly productive, 
in order to be able to optimize your cognitive process, you better damn take a nap. And when you say that's not productive, that's, that's just, that's, that's an inappropriate, um, frame to put on the word. So it's all about sort of defining what it is that you want and making sure that that's what you're getting out of whatever it is that you're trying to do. Yeah. Well, productivity is called produce desired result, right? What's your desired result? Relaxation, more cognitive power, uh, better spaghetti, uh, you know, more loving, you know, connection with my daughter watching her play soccer. We're getting closer to the end of the time. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Just that, hey, you know, we're launching next week the Getting Things Done for Teenagers book. So uh, for years, people have come to me and say, God, I wish I learned this when I was 12 or 13 or 15. Or, oh, God. or well, how do I get this to my kids? And I, because I don't have kids, I've never really known how to really truly frame that appropriately. But I've got two co-authors, both of whom are parents. One of them is a public education teacher in Minneapolis. And so getting, getting things done for teens is showing up. And it's a great book and it, it takes this whole methodology and frames it kind of in a, in a language. It's actually designed for two audiences. It's designed for caring adults. That is clergy, parents, teachers, you know, uh, counselors, anybody that cares about getting, having teens sort of get out from over the over, overwhelm of the minute they are dealing with. And, you know, as well as it's designed for the teens. So got a smart team can pick up the book, read it and see. And it kind of relates to their language and their culture. You know, it's kind of like, hey, at the end of the week, are you unpacking your pack and then repacking it for the weekend? Are you at the end of the weekend? Are you unpacking your pack and repacking it for school? So it's taking the same principles, but then taking, you know, into a much more sort of relevant level, I think, for, you know, much younger people. So we're excited about that. So that's, that's a new launch that's coming up. So that's just to let people know if you have teens or care about teens or know people who do, you might want to let them know that, you know, that's a great methodology. We've already had some pretty sophisticated parents and, 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 and people read this. Oh my God, you know, I needed to be reminded of this through the book. So. So that's, that's sort of a new game that showed up out there. So thanks for letting me sort of promote that. Awesome. And if you haven't read David's books, you should definitely read his books. And Getting Things Done is awesome. I read the revised edition probably a year ago. And after having several people suggest it on this podcast, uh, and it's incredible. So if you're, you haven't read his books, I definitely suggest you read them. So if you want to learn more about David, we're going to put some links in the description of this podcast on the Craft Christmas website. Thank you so much, David, for coming on the show today. Yeah, you got it. Take care. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.